Cajun Bayou, a book of recipes that imagine what the Mughal emperors will be eating today, simple baking with a French pastry star, and more. That's this week on The Splendid Table. Sunday at noon on Radio Catskill. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Support for WJFF comes from Two Queens, offering coffee, tea, and bees. Located in Pete's Plaza, Narrowsburg, New York. TwoQueensCoffee.com. And from listener donations at WJFFRadio.org. Support for Radio Catskill comes from the Calicoon Theater an updated vintage movie theater with new releases, film festivals, nostalgic screenings, live music events, and more. Information and schedule at thecalicoontheater.com. Welcome to Catskill Character. I'm your host, Donna Fellenberg. Today is March 8th. It's International Women's Day. It's actually a few days before this show will air, but I am so pleased to have as my guest this week, a woman of note right here in the Catskills, Eleni Gable. You may know Eleni from her potting studio, Honey Hill Potters. Some of you may have even taken classes with her and felt the joy of pulling up your first pot with Eleni's guidance. But... She is also a piano tuner and technician, having learned from her father, and she is the third of four generations of piano technicians in her family. In fact, there is a rumor that her grandfather, Janos Fikety, now I probably pronounced that wrong, and that's why he changed his name to Ford, um, he worked as a foreman at the Steinway Pianos in New York City for a time, and he supposedly coined the phrase Baby Grand. He was an innovator who designed new mechanical systems for the piano, so you could say that Eleni comes by her creativity naturally. We have lots to talk about, so sit back and enjoy my conversation with Eleni Gable. Welcome to Catskill Character, Eleni. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you, Donna. It's so nice to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Let's start by talking about your early years living in New York City, in Yorkville, which is on the Upper East Side. You did a lot of moving around while you were growing up. Yes, we did. I mean, it was the, great, the greatest place to grow up, as far as I'm concerned, at that time. We had a piano store on East 74th Street between 2nd and 3rd Avenue, and we quickly outgrew it and had to relocate to a bigger piano shop. Uh, so we bought a brownstone way uptown on East 82nd Street between 3rd and Lexington. I guess it's still Yorkville, but it seemed like a whole nother planet to us. Um, that was also a walk-in from the street, and we had uh, we lived upstairs, and we remodeled that, that building into 16 apartments. But yes, our, our piano store, that's, oh, I'm sorry, I have to back up a second. On 82nd Street between 3rd and Lex, John Lennon would walk by just about every day as my brother Rick and I were sitting out on the stoop eating our lunch. He asked us what, what we were doing. Hey, I see you guys here every day. What are you, what are you guys up to? And we both simultaneously pointed to the piano store and told him, we have our family piano business here. We're just taking lunch break, John. <laughs> and we introduced ourselves and he asked us if he could come in and have a look. And we said, absolutely. So he came in and 
um, we brought him to the rebuilding section of our store there. And he was, he was just, he was dumbfounded. He really loved it. And he arranged to come every day for two weeks as we stripped down, refinished, rebuilt the piano. They put a new soundboard, put a new, put new strings in, new tuning pens, pin block. We did the whole nine and he watched. He really loved it. And we loved having him there. Didn't you tell me that after he died, Yoko contacted your father and you, you guys worked on some pianos for her? Yes, she did. She did ask us to rebuild two of his pianos for sentimental reasons. Usually when, when you're taking a piano apart, you find something inside of it, like sometimes a ring, sometimes a slip of paper, something, something, something that someone's dropped in there. His were spotless. There was nothing, but I do have his bass bridge cap, which, um, you know, is, is not as good as having his tooth, apparently. <laughs> I heard somebody... Well, had his tooth and auctioned it off at Sotheby's but no um it's just sentimental piece of wood I have from his piano oh but I think that's so wonderful yeah oh so nice mm -hmm. did you meet any other famous people Billy Joel would come in for uh piano benches piano lamps and and different things to make his piano softer sounding yes and Fleetwood Mac sent, sent their pianos in for rebuilding a few times. Plus, we would tune all the pianos at Juilliard and Manhattan School of Music, Teddy Roosevelt's Burt's Place, all over, all of the Broadway shows, and the concert series at Central Park. We were very busy tuning pianos and rebuilding them in our shop. And I think you told me his, his store was one of three in the country that provided uh, pianists with certain tools and certain equipment. Actually, what for pianists, we had uh, piano benches, piano lamps, music stands, etc. But we mostly provided tools and supplies for technicians in the piano industry, like the Piano Technicians Guild. Uh, there were many, many members. And my dad was innovative in creating tools that were specialized for the piano industry that uh, and solutions for piano hammers that were too soft or too hard. He created a bunch of tools that were really helpful in the trade that no one else had. And since we were one of the only, of the three that were in the United States, piano supply houses, we had over 2000 items in inventory. We do mail order and as well, tuners and technicians from all over the city would come and we'd sell them stuff over the counter. You know, it might be fun for the listener for you to just give them a quick tutorial about the difference between tuning an upright piano and a grand piano. Oh, sure. Love to. Well, I'm not sure if anybody knows, but there are 250 strings on a piano. So most notes have three strings on them. In the very bass, there are two. And lower in the lowest bass, there are one string for each note. The upright piano is vertical, usually against a wall. So you're tuning with your tuning hammer in a vertical position, and you, you have to mute out two of the three strings on every note to get one of those strings in tune using your tuning fork, and you use fourths and fifths. Anyway, so it's a matter of, with an upright, you're, you're in a vertical position pushing up and down on your tuning hammer. And on a grand, when you open the lid, uh, you're pushing uh, forward and back with your tuning hammer to, and there's much more room in a grand piano to mute out the, the other strings you don't need uh, temporarily. 
generally easier just because of the room factor for your tools and your fingers and your, your ears. <laughs> and those strings are horizontal. They're not vertical. So is that, does that make it easier for you? They're easier to get to. The action is underneath the strings and the action, you know, it's all the guts that make everything work. Where in a vertical or upright piano, the action is right up against the strings vert vertically. There's not a whole lot of room to stick your mutes in there. I, I think every tuner may prefer tuning grand pianos. It's always, it's always a treat. So you and all three of your brothers worked in the store. I was wondering, is there any competition between you? Not really, because we all had our specialty, the areas in the shop. My oldest brother, John, would uh, do mostly grand piano uh, regulation. Yet John was a grand piano regulating brother, and he did a lot of, he still does to this day, hammer voicing and a lot of that technical work. Myself, as a teenager, I was given a lot of upright piano actions at that local tuners would bring in because not all the time uh, do tuners know how to repair pianos. They just can tune them. We often get a lot of work for the repair part. So we a bunch of actions lined up and I would fix them and regulate them. And uh, then the tuner would come pick it up. And my other brother was in a refinishing area. And my brother, Rick, he was in the shipping department mostly. So we were pretty much spread out in, in the shop. Uh, my dad eventually hired a, a bunch of tuners, well, the three or four good ones that he knew. And they would do the tunings. We would stay in the shop and do shop work. You all had your different areas. That's great. Mm -hmm. When did you have time to go to school? I, I know. It was after school. And uh, whenever there was a day off from school, we would work. And a lot of our friends got jobs working there, too. We would. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of our friends would come and help. It was fun. My, my friends loved coming there. and It was fun. Tell me a bit about your mom. I know she uh, worked in the store eventually, but what did she do before that? Uh, she she studied to be a draftswoman, a draftsperson. She would draw plans for buildings. And uh, she, actually, she was the very first woman ever to be hired by the Pepsi-Cola bottling company to design Pepsi-Cola bottling plants. Yes, I mean, she was, a, she was definitely a, a strong smart woman and she had a wonderful personality they hired her and she was in this gigantic room full of men the only woman they were all drawing up their plans and when she got pregnant with my brother john they eventually cut a hole in her drafting table for her <laughs> that's great yeah it's so nice to have a, a strong female role model like that and your yeah. father of course was very strong as well but uh, didn't you tell me that Really, having her as a mother, you learned that anything is possible. You could do anything. That's what she taught me. That's what she really believed in me. Uh, I was the only other female mm. family, and she and I had a special bond. But uh, she taught me that there was nothing that I couldn't do, for sure. Both of them did, but she especially. I know you tell me that your father had bought property out on Long Island and that all of you together built the house on that property. Right. Well, my dad and mom, we, there were four of us uh, siblings. Uh, they would take us all out camping out, out to Montauk Point. I mean, that's a huge undertaking, if you ask me. Mm. We'd plant bakes on the beach and have, they would just, they just taught us a lot about having fun and being worldly and uh, they gave us so many new experiences. And, and yes, my dad bought this piece of property. And yes, we would camp on it. And we 
we built the foundation uh, for house with cinder blocks. And, and as the house went along, he would say, come on kids today, we're going to put the floors in and he'd give us all hammers and nails and he would do the cutting and we would nail the boards in. I mean, he, he really taught us how to build a house and it's on teaching approach that he had. And that's what I passed on to my sons as well. So you really did have a close knit family. And I guess you could say if there's anything that we've learned from COVID, it's that there's nothing more important than family, family and friends. I agree, Donna. Yes. Uh, I miss, I miss everybody terribly. It's, it's hard on us. Huggers. Yeah. How long has it been since you saw your sons? Well, we, we do the Skype thing. I saw him maybe a month ago, one of them. Uh, my second, my first son, who lives in Allentown, I haven't seen him in over a year now. Yep. Well, today is a sunny day, and uh, I'm hoping that it's indicative of brighter days ahead. Me too. And with, and with that in mind, I think we'll take a break, okay? Great, okay. You've been listening to Catskill Character on WJFF. I'm your host, Donna Fellenberg. With me today is Eleni Gable from Calico, New York. We'll be right back after a short break. If you hear good music, you're listening to Radio Catskill. Your weekend can't even begin until Clyde Alvin Yates III sets it off Saturday night at 7. At 9, an hour of global sounds from the African diaspora on Afropop. Then at 10, Selector, Starkey, and DJ Chuck spend four hours of funk, hip-hop, roots reggae, club classics, and more, live on Old School Sessions. Saturday night, only on Radio Catskill. This group is dangerous. WJFF, Jeffersonville, New York. W233AH Monticello. Welcome back to Catskill Character. And if you've just joined us, I've been speaking with Eleni Gable. Eleni is the third of four generations of piano tuners and restorers and technicians. She, like her three brothers, learned this skill from their father, who tuned and restored pianos, and he in turn was taught by his father who tuned and restored pianos back in Hungary before coming to America in the late 1800s. In the first half of the show, Eleni told us about the growth of her family's business, Ford Piano Company, which necessitated moving to bigger and bigger locations. She met famous people along the way, including John Lennon, who took a great interest in what they did and visited the store often. In the second half of the show, we'll be talking about Honey Hill Pottery, Eleni's other passion, and how she came to live in the Catskills, the place she says called to her. Here's more of our conversation. Eleni, how did you come to live in the Catskills? Donna, it was sheer magic that I found this beautiful spot that I live in. I was in the piano store with my family and my dad was teaching piano technology to three students in his two-year course for them. I got an invitation in the mail for a wedding and I wanted to go. I said, dad, can I go to this wedding? And he read it and said to me, well, where's Calicoon? Anyway, that's where the wedding was to be held in Calicoon, New York. So what happened was a friend of mine in high school 
ran away from home and came to this area because he had a sister in Parksville. And lo and behold, yeah, I got an invitation to his wedding. So one of the students that my dad was teaching said, oh, I have a, I have a house in Calicoon. You're welcome to stay in it. I remember coming here and thinking, wow. And it was in the dead of winter, too. That is just so beautiful. And the house smelled like home, if that makes any sense. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I went back to the city uh, telling my mom she really has to see this place. I knew she would love it, too. And she did. And she ended up purchasing it from our friend and student, Marsha Goodman. And anyway, I, I ended up with it, thankfully, after my mom passed. I was wondering, how did you become a potter? Right. Ah, that's a good question. Well, when I finished high school, I enrolled at Hunter College in New York City, and I took pottery as an elective. And I actually, the very first class... The professor was demonstrating. I don't, I don't remember a word he said. All I saw was this lump of clay turn into this beautiful bowl right in front of my eyes. I had a physical reaction to what I was seeing. And I wanted to, I wanted to know how to do it. <laughs> so it just woke up some part of my soul that wasn't there before. So did you change your, your major at that time? Or did you just take more and more pottery classes? What did you do? Well, it was, I was uh, learning art history. I just spent a lot of time in that pottery studio. And uh, my teacher, Bob Siegel, then asked me to help him teach at Marymount College. And I became a student teacher, actually. And then I started to take lots of classes with colleagues. And I went with Susan Peterson, who ran the studio there at Hunter College, to um, the Idlewild School of Music and Art in the San Jacinto Mountains of, of Southern California with in UCLA and worked there for a while, like the whole summer. It was wonderful. Got to work with indigenous people and do sculptural gigantic clay works with George Geyer. And uh, it was just amazing. My first time working with porcelain and it was a wonderful, a wonderful experience. Yeah, I guess it would be nice to break it down here because people don't really know the difference. They hear pottery, but there's raku, raku, is that how you pronounce it? Raku, and you said porcelain. Um, there's all different kinds of mediums sure. that you're working with, right? Yes. So there's no written history about it. It's oral. But what we can tell as clay people is that clay was discovered accidentally when ancient people were walking along a riverbed, they may have felt something squishy under their foot and naturally went down to pick some up. When you have, when you have clay in your hands, you just naturally start pinching like, um, like a little bowl. It just happens. And perhaps they thought, oh, maybe I could put my food in here. Hmm. Maybe it'll work better than trying to cook it on a leaf uh, or <laughs> put it on a fire and realized when you heat it up, it gets hard. So then there was a necessity to have clay. So the race was on um, and, and they found after time that was earthenware. Then they, they found clay that lasted longer, which was stronger if they dug deeper or they found different deposits, which is stoneware, which is very, very much more durable. And then in the uh, far East, they found porcelain, which is the purest clay and it's the uh, most durable and fires to the highest temperature. Is there a different in, like if you're you're going to set up a studio and you want to do a porcelain studio, would that be more expensive than doing other kinds of, of clay? Well, porcelain clay, if you're buying it from the clay 
supply house. It is slightly more expensive. The thing mm-hmm. to be careful about is not to cross contaminate your clays because you want to keep porcelain pure mm. and it's, it's pure snow white. You don't want to have any other colored clay or buff color even uh, getting into it because the glazes, when they fit the clay body are very specific to the clay body. So each glaze and each clay body interacts differently. So you'd have to keep them completely separate. I see. Uh, yeah. So uh, I was wondering, you've, we've mentioned a couple of times today about you teaching. Uh, how do you feel about teaching? Uh, I just, I really love teaching because it's, uh, it's almost a spiritual experience when you get to turn somebody on to the, to the joys of working with clay, it's transformative. It goes from being soft and pliable to standing up on its own to becoming impermeable. And it turns into something you can feed yourself from. Uh, there's so many, there's so many variables and so many ways in which you can relate it to life itself. Like you use the four basic elements of earth, air, water, and fire when you work with clay. And if you're working on the wheel, it spins just like our planet. Um, it's just, it's just reminiscent of back to basics, put down the cell phone. It's time to, to get back to basics and you get to get dirty and, um, create creation is amazing. When I'm teaching a student, whether it's hand building or wheel throwing the epiphany, when they get, when they get, when they first calm down and realize they can do this, that's, it's just, it just feels so good to show somebody that they can succeed and mm. they feel it for themselves. They know it. It's beautiful. Yeah. There's, there's really nothing better than being able to impart that joy that you have to someone else. And then the ability to make their own creation. I, it really is fantastic. Uh, uh, what about you? Does, does the clay still speak to you? Oh, sure does. Uh, yes, I, when I make him pottery, I, I actually wrote this little poem. Oh, did you so, read it to us? I would love to hear it. Sure, if I, I'm going to recite it, see if I remember it. Okay. When I sit with a lump of clay at my wheel, I am one with the pure intention I feel. What can be hiding inside of this clay? How can I transform its beauty today? So I sit and I summon my innermost being until born in my hands is the shape that I'm seeing. It's then put aside to set up for a while and it beckons me later to carve out its style. Often I do this with people in mind, the heartfelt, the broken, the encouraging, the kind. Oh, that's beautiful. What's the name of that poem? Uh, the Meaning of Clay. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Because I, whenever I'm creating something, there's somebody in my heart or in my mind or some experience that needs to speak through me and come out in the clay. It's, it's a love thing, Donna. Yeah. I, I, we don't have enough time, unfortunately. I would love to go through the whole process so the audience could hear uh, the steps that you have to take to get to that final uh, piece. But I did want to ask you, and I, I've been asking all of my guests this, how has COVID impacted your business? Uh, well, well, it's um, 
it's impacted it greatly. Since I'm in my 60s, I'm not really great yet at um, marketing online, per se, although I've, um, I'm looking into that now. So we used to have people come here to my gallery and um, purchase things and, and, and going out and doing different shows, doing craft shows. And so it was a, a lot slower this past summer. And my teaching jobs also weren't, weren't happening last summer. Um, so yeah, well, he can't do that on the web. <laughs> no, nope. some people did ask me to teach hand building, you know, via zoom or Skype, but, um, yeah, I just, I just couldn't do it. Just, yeah, it would entail, you know, meeting up and giving them clay and I just, it was just not going to happen at the moment, but we'll see. Hopefully things will get better really soon. I hope so. And I, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your, your story with me. And I, I'm telling you, it sounds to me like you're going to be, you're going to rise up after COVID like the phoenix from the ashes. And people are going to be flocking to you once again. Thank so you. I really enjoyed speaking with you, Eleni. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Donna. It's really a pleasure to speak with you, too. You're wonderful at this. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Catskill Character. I'm your host, Donna Fellenberg, and my guest today has been Eleni Gable. Eleni's website is honeyhillpottery.com. Catskill Character is on all but the last Saturday of the month at 11.30, right after Farming Country. On that last Saturday, you'll find Greg Triggs Travels with Triggs. Hope you'll tune in again to meet another remarkable character of the Catskills right here on WJFF. And until then, as always, thanks so much for listening. Support for Radio Catskill comes from the Calicoon Theater, an updated vintage movie theater with new releases, film festivals, nostalgic screenings, live music events, and more. Information and schedule at thecalicoontheater.com. 
Support for WJFF comes from Two Queens, offering coffee, tea, and bees. Located in Pete's Plaza, Narrowsburg, New York. TwoQueensCoffee.com. And from listener donations at WJFFRadio.org. You're listening to Radio Catskill. On air, online, on your smartphone, and on your smart speaker. It's been a year since COVID-19 first forced non-essential workers to shelter in place. And for many of us, what community looks like has been radically transformed. I'm Kai Wright, and this week on a national episode of the United States of Anxiety from WNYC, we'll take your calls and hear all the new ways people came together to meet each other's needs, from emergency care networks to fundraisers for rent. Join me for the United States of Anxiety. Live on Radio Catskill, Sunday evening, starting at 6. This week in This American Life, a man in China, not a journalist, just a guy, decides to see for himself the anti-government protests in Hong Kong, makes videos, posts them online. The Chinese government is not happy. Next, he heads to Wuhan, the heart of the coronavirus epidemic. Again, spreads information that the Chinese government doesn't want out there. What happens to somebody who does that this week? This American Life, Saturday evening at 6. You're listening to Radio Catskill, WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Support comes from the Homestead School, Montessori Education, preschool through early college with campuses in Glens Bay and Hurleyville, building the intelligence, creativity, connection, and skills for an ecological future since 1978 homesteadschool.com. From the River Reporter newspaper in Narrowsburg, New York, riverreporter.com. And from listener donations at wjffradio.org. Support for Radio Catskill comes from the Never Sink General Store, featuring an award-winning chef, smoked barbecue year-round, local products and catering, now offering takeout. Never Sink General Store.